0: Hello and welcome to episode Derek Smith of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles, back from vacation, joined by my fantastic co-host, Colin Cudmore. Before we get started, I, I just got to say how thankful I am for the Draft Debater series you did over the past few weeks because uh, people love listening to them, and I know it was a lot of work to get so many great guests on the show. And we also reached 50 episodes, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, so, I, I honestly, I love the direction that this podcast is heading, and I seriously couldn't have done it without you, so... Kudos to you, Colin. Here's to many more great episodes.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun recording. Uh, it's uh, good to get back to regular coverage now, but uh, yeah, it was fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and I know uh, I know a lot of people appreciated the series and, and learning about uh, a lot more, a lot different prospects as well. Not not just the um, the regular names that you're hearing, but we're going to be talking obviously about a lot of uh, other prospects today. And those are the ones that the Senators took in the draft over the past two days. Um, So obviously, we're recording this just a day after the NHL draft has concluded, and um, we're just going to go over uh, all the six picks that the Senators made, and then we'll discuss their overall performance at the end. Um, But first, let's start with the 19th overall selection, and that's Finnish defenseman Lassie Thompson. So what was your initial reaction when they took him on Friday?
1: Well, before they took him, even going there, I was pretty ecstatic, honestly, just because we kept seeing so many... Uh, great players falling to the sense, and it was just lining up so well for them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, and then they took Lassie Thompson. Of course, it was a bit of a letdown at that point, but not that that's anything against Lassie Thompson. I want to make this distinction super early because this is probably going to be a recurring theme in this episode, but there's a difference between liking the pick and liking the player. I like Lassie Thompson, the player. He has good upside. He has, um, He's a great skater. He has a great shot, especially, but at number 19, Whoever, considering who else was on the board and just taking into taking all that context into account, um, yeah, I just didn't like the pick. Um, I, I, again, I think this it always comes down to um, how, how we look at the sense drafting, even last year. Um, but it's just a matter of like who else was on the board and, and the context that was around him, and uh, um, which is what they passed up on the board, and it could look pretty ugly in the future.
0: Right, and I think that's that's totally fair, and I'm glad you made that distinction early on because I know people. I'm sure they're going to be hounding on us if if you know we're talking about. Oh, we thought it was a bad pick. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, Thompson is a good prospect, and I and I and I like him. But you're right. I mean, there were so many good players left on the board. I mean, I was really hoping they'd be able to get one of. Um, I mean, I thought there was no chance they were going to get Cole Caulfield, but once he started falling, I thought, oh, you never know. And then same with Alex Newhook. Um, but they went back to back, so. After them, I mean, there were still some good players available, especially a ton of forwards. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of half expected Ottawa to take a guy like Thompson, just sort of off the board, uh, someone who no one really expected um, them to take at, at number 19. And yeah, it, it's just, I don't know. Th- things were lining up well for them, like you said, um, but. I don't know. Don't you get the sense that they probably could have gotten him 32nd overall?
1: Oh, totally. And I did some research this year at uh, just looking into expected range, and and I did that by doing a whole bunch of consolidated rankings. I got a total of 60 scouts on my list, but Mm -hmm. his projected range ended up being 31st to 48th. So um, I I was talking to someone on Twitter today, and they brought up a good point that Thompson is one of those types of players where you, you, you almost might expect... Him to be one of the one of those players that a team like uh, tries to target a bit earlier than expected. So maybe if Ottawa knew that there was uh, another couple teams that were had him high on this list in in the uh, mid to early twenties or just around that range, and maybe it wasn't as much of a reach for them as it seemed to as it seems to us. But even then, like it, it's yeah, you, we keep looking back at the players on the board, and and I guess even though they dropped to thirty two, you can't help but think that Kaliev and Bobby Brink are two players that. Could have a significantly higher impact than than, uh, than Thomas in the future, just with their extremely high ceilings. Even looking at Philip Thomasino, who went to Nashville, what a great pick that was by them. Mm-hmm. And even if they wanted to stick to defensemen, like you have, Joey uh, Hainola, um, Tobias Bjornfot was a bit of a reach, but I'm I'm still a fan of him as a potential first round talent. But I guess that brings me to the next point: is that the Sens kind of drafted for need. They got the right shot defenseman, which I think was, I think it was uh, pretty unanimous, unanimously their uh, biggest weakness and their prospect pipeline heading into the draft, but, and and they did fill that, which is a, a good thing. But again, that's that's not really what the draft strategy needs to be for teams at the draft. Is you, you always want to go for that that best player available and have the get the high upside, even if it ends up creating a bit of a logjam at one position. Like it, it's a good logjam to have if you have too many good players. I mean, Ottawa's kind of doing it with that with centers right now. But I mean, not not all players end up panning out, and uh, things end up falling into place eventually. So, um, yeah um i don't know but as for Wasi thompson the player um he just, he's he's pretty interesting because he's definitely one of the older players in the draft like he's i like i think it was 10 days before the cutoff
0: yeah i think four. september 24th was his birthday something like that yeah. yeah
1: but uh which is definitely interesting because uh and like you, you look at all these tools that thompson has he has the skating as a shot he has the uh defensive acumen even um so it's like it's hard to see why he would be such of a, like a reach at that point but um it, we also have to consider the age is definitely a big factor and he's, he's he's closer in age to guys like uh uh Jet Wu and uh who was the guy Ty Smith who were other defensemen in the WHL last year who were taken in 2018 mm-hmm. but Thompson is more comparable to them just because his birthday is closer so we have to kind of look at their numbers more comparably but uh um yeah he he definitely has some upside which is I think kind of mellows the impact a bit at least they didn't take someone like Alex Vlasic for example yeah who just doesn't have any upside at all basically so again I, I'm a fan of Thompson the player but yeah it, it's still a reach
0: right for sure and and I think it he, he's an interesting player scoring 17 goals as a defenseman in the WHL is definitely nothing to scoff at um Mm -hmm. and just looking at some of his highlights like he can he can definitely shoot the puck pretty damn well so that's something to be excited about um and you're mentioning his age as well in the 17-18 season um he spent the majority of it in the junior a sm Liga, so like um the the u20 league there and you know, a lot of prospects his age, well, not a lot, but at least some would be playing at least a handful of games in, in the SM Liga, in the in the men's league. Um, he'll be playing there, well, actually, it's not set in stone that he's going back to Finland for next season, but he he indicated that he wanted to go back and uh, play in the SM Liga. So I guess we'll get a better sense of, you know, how good of a prospect he is uh, next season when, he, when he's playing up against, uh, you know, full-grown men. Um but you're right. He he does have that upside. One one question I want um, want to ask you is you mentioned some other players that were available at 19 instead of Thompson. If you had to pick one player, like who would you have uh, rather taken instead of Thompson?
1: Uh for me it would have been Calia for sure. Mm-hmm. I I I honestly think that the the numbers he put up in the CHL and even, especially when he wasn't surrounded by, surrounded by many other good players is is pretty incredible. And the fact that he slid, slid all the way to the second round is is I, I I I don't know. He 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 really slid. I think was because of like, the perceived character issues, and I say that in quotes because, of course, it's just jargon that GMs like to throw around. But right. you can't you, you can't score 50 goals without without putting in some effort. So um, he he's just a player that really impressed me all year. Um, Bobby Brink is the other one that stood out to me. Um, I I took him in the SB Nation mock I mean, draft. I mean, I took
0: him too <laughs> in yeah. Ad Hockey Buzz. So
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, th- those were two players. E- even though they ended up falling to 32. Um, and the sense, passing them again, which I'm sure we'll get to. But um, yeah, the, the, those were the two that I would have targeted. But uh, you mentioned that uh, um, yeah, but y- you mentioned that Lassie Thompson is 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 probably going to be heading back to Finland next year. I'm just wondering what you think the pros and cons are of that, dinner, and uh, if you're the Sens, which way would you persuade him to go?
0: I mean, I'm sure they're persuading him to to stay in Kelowna. It's it's no secret that Ottawa. Uh, really doesn't have many scouts outside of North America. And I'm sure they're going to be, you know, wanting to stay close to home. Um, they got a lot of scouts in the WHL or at least covering the WHL. I think one pro of him going to SM Liga would be they'll probably check in on him um, playing for, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Elvis. Um, if he, yep. when he's playing for them, if he goes there, I'm assuming that a scout or Dorian or whoever is going to be watching him there and then just sort of inadvertently also be watching other Finnish players. And that's a league that they really don't scout very much. I mean, they drafted Marcus Nermy from Finland, but besides that they haven't really drafted many other uh, Europeans outside of Sweden. Um, I mean, there's, there's other Europeans they've drafted, but they've been playing in the CHL. So it's not really the same. So I think that could be a positive if they're just sort of, stumble upon some of these other prospects because there's tons of great Finnish players um coming out of sm liga or junior a
1: yeah and one other thing i think is a a kind of a hidden pro to him heading back is that he'll um if he stays in the chl descents will have to sign him within two years whereas if he heads back to finland they'll have uh, two extra years if they want to sign him or not which i mean i'm sure they'll want they'll want to sign him given uh he was picked number 19 no matter how well he plays but Mm -hmm. um uh, yeah, it just gives them that extra time, and they've done that with NCAA players a lot in the past two drafts, where they like uh, um, giving themselves the extra time to figure out if a player is worth signing or not. Um, but yeah, it, it'll it'll definitely be missed if he heads back to Finland as well, because um is actually hosting the Memorial Cup next year. Yeah. So he'll he'll be missing out on that, similar to what uh, Philip Al did with Regina. But uh, it's also just a, it's also just a different ice in Finland. And it will take some kind of readjusting and then readjusting when he gets back to North America after that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. I don't really um, sway particularly either way. I think if he goes back to Liga, the fact that he gets to play against men in better competition, I think, may serve him better. But, uh, yeah, it really could go either way for me personally.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, there's something to be said for him dominating against against his peers or and younger players as well. But like you said, playing against men as well—that that's a good, um, you know, a good step in between levels, and it's probably about comparable to the AHL, maybe a step below or something like that. So, um, just la- last point for Thompson here. It's hard for me to compare these two, and I don't even know if you can either. But like, who would you th- who would you say has the higher upside moving forward? Would it be Bernard Docker or Thompson? Because I mean, those are pretty much their only two guys in the system that they have. That project as top four uh, right hand defenseman.
1: Uh, I'd say Lassie Thompson personally. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's tough to compare them, but uh, uh, I just think he he has the he's the better skater. He has the better shot. He has the better offensive toolkit. Whereas Jacob Bernard Docker definitely has is more well rounded out defensively. And I feel like it, it's a lot easier to be able to improve your defense. And I think Thompson already has a decent base for that too. Mm-hmm. That if if you can round out his game even more. And still keep that offensive toolkit, then I think uh, he'll end up having the higher ceiling.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, honestly, Ottawa kind of needs him to be a top pairing guy, or at least definitely. I mean, it it doesn't seem like they're going to be trading for someone or signing somebody. So
1: um,
0: I don't know. And, and a top pairing right pair, defen- uh, right handed defenseman doesn't necessarily mean he's you know an ace defender or something. He just has to be, by definition, one of the sixty best defensemen in the league. So. I mean, there's a chance that happens. I, I'm not going to expect that necessarily, but it's a possibility.
1: Oh, totally. And I think that's time we move on to our second prospect, because speaking of reaches at the draft, this one may <laughs> have been, this one might have been Ottawa's biggest. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to the other ones later. But they took uh, Shane Pinto, 32nd overall, um, played in the USHL, uh, put up a point per game there. Um, I, what team was he with? He was uh, with two teams. Oh, yeah, he was with... Lincoln King Stars
0: Tri- and Tri-City Storm.
1: Yeah, and he, he put up over a point per game with both teams. But, again, at 32, what what are your thoughts on Shane Pinto?
0: I mean, it, it's funny how where a player is taken can totally change your perception of this player. If he was taken in yes. the 5th, 6th, yeah. or 7th round, I mean, he was projected sort of around, you know, mm-hmm. 80, 90, somewhere around there, or maybe yeah, even... A- I mean. Bob McKenzie, to be fair, had him at forty fifth, so that's not that much lower. Yeah. I um, my
1: projected range at uh, forty three to eighty five. So yeah, it's around yeah that range. okay.
0: So so somewhere in there, if he was taken, you know, third round or something, I think I would have been pretty fine with this pick. I, you know, he had um, his thirty. Who is it? Yeah, his thirty two points in thirty games with the Lincoln Stars. That actually looks pretty impressive when you consider the next so he led the team in points with thirty-two points. The next oh, yeah. closest guy had twenty seven, and that was in sixty-two games. So <laughs> yeah. that obviously wasn't a high scoring team at all. So he was he was obviously like the best player on that team. And then when he went to actually I don't know if I'm assuming he got traded to Tri City after that. Um he was I think seventh on the team in scoring, something like that. So a lot actually ninth, um just looking at it now. He was ninth on the team in scoring. So a lot lower there. But yeah, I just again I don't necessarily hate him as a prospect. I think he definitely has some upside, and like I'm excited to see what he can do. But I just there's so many other guys left on the board. I mean, like we said, Kali Evan Brinkworth still there. Um, Igor Afanasyev, uh Niels Hoglander. There's just so many other higher or like more skilled forwards available, and I just think Ottawa really needs guys up front especially who who have a lot of projectable upside and with Pinto I don't know if that is necessarily there
1: oh for sure yeah he, he's definitely one of the the safer picks of the draft he kind of reminds me of Shane Bowers in that sense uh, right where, he, where he's kind of he, he has some offensive offense to him just I mean he's a forward and he put up points so there's there's that but um he's 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 definitely one of the more uh defensively oriented forwards that went in, in at this range in the draft which i mean isn't a bad thing in and of itself but when you're at the draft table you want to go for those high upside players who can maybe learn the defense later and then carry that offense into the nhl and then be those uh really high high-end uh first-line players so um i, I mean I, I think it's just ottawa being risk averse at this point mm-hmm. so you look at kaliev and brink and those are two um i mean risky players in different ways but i mean you, you can say it's it's hard to say that players who score as as much as those who do are have much risk, but, um, I mean, it's it's perceived risk essentially, but
0: yeah, was, it, it it is just a bit frustrating to know that Ottawa's is essentially never going to be taking a guy who is falling like Brink or like Kaliev or something like that, somebody who totally. is you know has maybe a bit of risk, whether that's character issues or maybe he's lackadaisical in his own zone or something like that but can score a bazillion goals or maybe he's you know five foot seven or five foot eight or something but scored a bazillion goals you know sort of like Bobby Brink um it just I have no expectation for them to take a guy like that um just because they're risk averse and you, you were mentioning Shane Bowers they've drafted so many guys like this of this ilk yeah. Colin White um traded for Josh Norris and maybe Norris is a bit more upside than than those two but still it just it seems like they're really fixated on these guys who are projected as as two-way centers that are defensively responsible but not necessarily they don't necessarily have the highest upside and again i say this with you know i i don't even i don't even not like pinto as a prospect but i don't know 32nd is pretty high
1: yeah definitely and uh I mean, he's heading to the University of North Dakota next year where he'll be with uh, Tyconic and Bernard Docker, which I guess is cool, yeah. you know, to have your, your prospects growing up together. But at, at the same time, like, it, it shouldn't really be affecting your draft position that that, that much, especially you, like, picking him as high as 32. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure they trust the University of North Dakota, kind of like what other teams do with the the London Knights, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's just it's it's a strange pick, just because the Suns had all night to think about this, and I don't know if they overthought it or whatnot, but it just really didn't pan out as uh uh what everybody was expecting or or what was really the ideal decision here. I think.
0: I mean, also Dorian even said at the end of the, the end of the first round, he said that there were multiple teams calling him, um, wanting to move up to the 32nd overall pick. So I really wonder what teams were offering. Um, because honestly it probably would have been worth it to move down to i don't know 45th or whatever and get an extra third um which is a good yeah. segue i guess to talking about the trade that they made to uh move up to the 37th selection and they had to give up their own third round pick to do that um actually i should say it was pittsburgh's third round pick um and yeah do you want to talk about the 37th pick that they uh the 37th pick from the draft i should say
1: Sure. Well, um, yeah, they they made a trade with Carolina, trading picks forty four and I believe eighty eight to Carolina for pick number thirty seven, where they took goalie Mad Sogard, who is uh, a really tall goalie, and that's <laughs> essentially the, the most you need to know about Sogard. He's uh, he's he's almost six eight. He was measured six seven and a half at the draft, and I'm sure he's still growing. So, um, he's from he's from Denmark, which I th- is he the first Danish player? in the Sun system. Am I, am I wrong?
0: Well, Regan.
1: Oh, of course, Peter yeah. Regan. How can I forget? <laughs> Legend. But, but, uh, I mean, not only is he, is he tall, but he put up uh, a 921 save percentage in the WHL, which is impressive for, uh, pretty, pretty impressive for mm-hmm. uh, an 18 year old goalie, but uh, like in its own right, but for me, it's just the, the fact that they traded up and picked a goalie. Those two things kind of rubbed on, off on me a bit. Um, yeah, a bit, a bit poorly because I, I mean, one trading up, is just mathematically never worth it like it's very rare that a team will trade up and, and end up um, picking like a end up with a better player than the two others that uh, that they that they traded away essentially and i guess you look at carolina's picks and they end up taking uh jameson reese and Anthony honka and those are two players that i consider pretty decent talents like early second round to even first round talents for Hawke. i'd say yeah um so that could look pretty ugly in the future. But yeah, just just back to Sogard for a second. I mean, um, uh, yeah. So he's he's very tall. Put up good numbers in the WHL. I'm honestly not a, much of a goalie scout, so I, I really don't know what else to add to that. Um, I don't know, any any other thoughts on the pick?
0: Right. I mean, you mentioned moving up, and I think there are some instances where moving up in the first round can be worth it, especially if the cost is not so prohibitive. Um. I mean, the best example is moving up to take care of Carlson. I mean, that obviously worked out incredibly well. Nashville yeah. ended up with Chet Picard, so that was not very good. Um, but you're right. Like, I think moving up outside of the first round, so moving up in the second round, I mean, it's just, it's odd. And they've done that in the past. They did that in 2015. Ended up getting Gabriel Gagne. And that was yeah. just, man, that looks awful right now. So Trading for tall players, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. And... It's doubly shocking that they drafted a goalie because if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I heard Dorian say something along the lines of they're pretty much not going to be taking a goalie this weekend. So when I saw that they, that they took Sogard, I was pretty shocked. Um, but yeah, I mean, they must have been, they must have had him pretty damn high. They they mentioned that uh, they had him projected to go in the first round or maybe not projected to go in the first round, but they had him as a first round talent. So I guess they didn't want to see him slip any further and perhaps they had good reason to believe that somebody before 44th was going to take him, but it's, it's just, a, it's just, it's weird. And I mean, the good thing is out of any of their picks, I think I'm actually, well, maybe uh, he's probably about the same as Thompson for, for a level of excitedness, um, because I really like Sogard as a prospect. Like you were saying, 921 save percentage in the WHL, that's that's pretty damn impressive. So I think there's a decent case to be made for him being the best goalie prospect out of him, Marcus Hogberg, Phil Gustafson, and Joey Decord. Um, he's obviously the farthest away from the NHL, but yeah, at least Ottawa's goaltending sis- situation moving forward is looking pretty damn solid because, I mean, there's no guarantee that any one of them turn turn out to to be an NHL starter, but you'd have to think chances are good at least one of them is going to be. Um, so at least there's that.
1: I mean, see, see, my my issue is more so just that they took a goalie in the second round to begin with.
0: Fair, so you, yeah.
1: So you look at the goalie prospects that they have in the system, anyways. Uh, Gustafson was the only one taken in the second round. That was by Pittsburgh, and they took uh, Decord was the seventh round pick, I believe. Hogberg was a, 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 I think it was a fourth round pick, I want to say, but. It's it's not the type of pick you want to make this early in the draft, even in the second round. Like, sure, he put up impressive numbers, but goalies have such wide ranges of future trajectories. Now, it's he could end up like he he could end up having a below 900 save percentage next season, and it really wouldn't yeah. even be that surprising, just because goalies can vary that wildly from year to year so often. So, um, I personally disagree. I don't think he's he's um, that um, I, I wouldn't put him that high as on the, on the list of Sen's goalie prospects, just because I think Decord is, a bit, is, a, is a, really established himself with his, his skill level as a goalie last year, and Markus Holper just because he's close to the NH, closer to the NHL. I think um, I put him above there, but yeah, him and Philip Gustafsson is two of the younger goalies who still just have these very wide ranges of trajectories. Um, I mean, he, sure, he could be a starter in the future, but he could also end up being a bust as soon as next year, essentially. Yeah. So. Um, there's just because there's so much uncertainty with goalies that um, it's 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 almost like I I almost ref, go as far as refraining from drafting goalies entirely and just looking at goalies to sign that are kind of moving upwards up the ranks who are maybe even just like in uh, a, a bit older in range or even free agents even because you, you see how these can turn out for some teams I think like think of like Boston with the Yaroslav Holak for example and how well that's turned out for them even with. Even with Tuukka Rask, like he's been playing well, so it, it, it's yeah, it, it's just hard to draft goalies with any kind of certainty in the NHL draft at, at such a young age. So
0: yeah, um, well, that, that's
1: my take on it. Yeah.
0: No, and 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 for sure, and I, and I agree with that. I mean, there was somebody who said that, um, and I think there was actual data to back this up that there's essentially no correlation between. Where a goaltender is taken in the draft and his his performance in the NHL. I mean, first sure. rounders are performing just as well as as sixth and seventh rounders. So it's it's almost pointless to take a a goalie so high. So you're right in that sense. Um, and yeah, it it's definitely high to to take a goalie um, at thirty seventh overall. Um, so again, this you know third pick in a row where we're gonna say, I think we both like the prospect, but. You know, if he was a fifth round pick, I would have been a lot more excited. Um what do you think do you think this says anything about Dorian's um uh, faith in the three goaltending prospects moving forward? Like do you think he doesn't necessarily see them or any one of them becoming a starter? Because I don't know, I mean, I don't think other farm systems have three goalies like the Senators do, like this that are you know could potentially be starters within the next few years and now they have four
1: um I, i'm not too sure i think it might just have to do with an asphyxiation to these prospects which i think is a another recurring theme and we'll get, get to that especially in the next prospect but it's it just they, they probably had a whl scout who came up to them and said mad Sogard mm-hmm. is going to be this elite goalie and uh they had him high on the list uh way above everyone else um projected range i had 53 to 87 um i'll add that Sogard was if they if, if the sense were set on taking a goalie there, Sogard was probably the right pick. Uh, Kachakov went the pick before. Um, Spencer Knight already went a bit, in my opinion, too early to Florida. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it was probably just uh, uh, one scout who really liked a player, which I guess transitions extremely well into our next prospect <sighs> that we're talking about. Uh, fourth round pick. Um, what was this? Yeah, f- first pick of the fourth round, number 94, the Senators selected Victor Lodin, or Victor Lodin, however you pronounce it, <laughs> on 94th overall. Um, he played for Orebro in the Swedish Hockey League. Uh, he's a centerman. Uh, he's 20 years old, too, so he's a double overager. So, I don't know, what, what was your reaction to the pick?
0: Oh, I mean, yeah, unfortunately, I, I was out uh, during the draft, so I didn't see the pick until later. But um, oh, it's just... It's a strange pick. Uh, I, I, I searched Twitter to, to see the reaction afterwards, and he was pretty much on no draft list. Like, he wasn't even expected to get drafted, you know, because he's 20 years old. I mean, and I think that's, you know, maybe teams uh, expected him to get signed in the summer or something like that. But, yeah, he's 20 years old. He had five points in 41 games for Orebro. And, I mean, obviously, like... He's a young player, so I'm assuming he didn't really get that much ice time. But yeah, I there's not even I don't even know what to say about him because there's like not that many people who know many things about him. Um apparently Dorian was saying that uh their their European scouts were ecstatic that they were able to get Loden or Lodine, whatever how you pronounce it. Um but again it's one of these picks, like I don't know why they had to get him so early in the fourth round. They probably could have got him with their sixth round pick. Hell, they probably could have even signed him as a free agent. So it's yeah, for sure. It's a bit odd.
1: So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I did my consolidated ranking. Six, 60 different scouting sources. Nobody had Victor <laughs> Quoden on their board. Were, he, just, nobody he ranked him. I, like, he, was, he was that off the board. Like if, if if the Sens didn't draft him and they could have signed him in the offseason, like, they could have just done that. Like it would have been that yeah. easy. And, and you mentioned that the European scouts were super excited about it, but every scout's excited about every pick that this team makes. And I mean, it, it really comes down to one scout on the sense. It was Anders Osberg, who's been with the sense for a couple of years now, but he used to scout for Orebro, bro. And uh, so he's been following him very closely. And you also look at the sense, they signed Nick Ebert as well off the same team. So um, yeah, it, it just seems very, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the, it's probably the biggest reach of that of that round. It, yeah. I, I I personally consider it a throwaway pick, just considering how mediocre Loden played last year. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, I just considering how little I know about him still. Um, like five points in forty-one games is what you'd expect from like a seventeen-year-old or eighteen-year-old, yeah, first-time draft-eligible. It and like yeah, it it's it's it's, it's super rich to give up a fourth-round pick for. Victor Wood and the first pick of the fourth round at that and, yeah. and you look at the guys who went after that jordan spence afterwards he he's prospect i was all i was all over um and guys like matthias michelli henry thrun um michael tepley carter Berger. even there, there, there's again like these are players that you uh, still provide great value uh, giga spear donov even he's a player i would have targeted in the second round and he fell all the way to 108th and uh And the Sens keep on passing on all these other guys who just have this higher upside. And Bowden just does not have that. He's 20 years old. He's a known commodity. Um, And which, I mean, can be a good thing. If you look at someone like uh, uh, Leeson or... uh, Who's the other overager I'm thinking of? Um, From this uh, draft? Yeah, from this draft. Who was? I don't know. Anyways, there's another Swedish uh, overager who uh, I was a big fan of. Oh, um... Um, Yes, that guy. Yeah, Samuel Feghmo. Um, and, and they're they're more known commodities, but in a good way. Isn't it? like they, they put up extremely good numbers in their in the weeks that they played for. Whereas Woden is just kind of, I mean, it's it's underwhelming to say the least. So. Yeah,
0: I mean, um, well, he he just strikes me as a guy who, um, you know, like maybe they're they're hoping he's going to be like some sort of third line player or something like that. And I just that's so frustrating if you're actually going to be drafting for you know, like like a depth player or something, you should be hoping that every single one of your draft picks is going to be a top-line player or at least, like, a top-six player. And obviously, that's unrealistic, but that's what you're trying to look for. Yeah, who
1: has the potential to reach that.
0: Exactly, exactly. I mean, someone like Drake Batherson, um, you know, at the time, I definitely thought it was a weird pick because he was an overager and didn't have that great numbers, but he clearly had the upside, and now he's he's reaching his potential. So, I don't know. Um, And... It it is strange that they've had Ottawa's had some very weird fourth round picks uh in the past. I mean, they've had Todd yeah. Todd Burgess, I think in pretty, was that twenty sixteen, I wanna say. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah, and then yeah. Tim Boyle as well. He was drafted out of high school and like hardly ever played after that. It was just very weird. Um Christian willannon I guess, was a bit strange too, because he was also an overager from the USHL, but I mean, obviously that's worked out. Um but yeah, like Burgess, Boyle, Lodin, Lodin, Um it's yeah, just some weird picks, and they're all in the fourth round. So I don't know what it is about the fourth round, but yeah, just just a strange pick. I don't know why they didn't sign him instead.
1: Yeah, I mean he, he definitely reminds me of the Todd Burgess pick is I mean, even even Todd Burgess, right? He had great numbers in in, in uh yeah. in the NHL and uh-huh. NHL in his draft year, even as a double overager, so uh, I mean, even for Burgess. If you want to talk about him specifically, he—he injuries really plagued him after that. He missed an entire season. But yeah, uh, it, it just seems like a, a pick that nobody would have made, even if the Sens didn't make it. So yeah, um, it, it's it's worrying. It's uh, and, and also this is the first European player that they drafted since 2016. Yeah, 2017 and 2018 were completely North American. Dalton, right? Uh yeah, it was uh, Dolan and I believe uh, Oh, and Nermi. Yeah, and Nerby in that year. Yeah. So, um yeah, so it, it, the Sens only have 3 scouts doing all of Europe. And for this to be their first pick in 3 years is extremely underwhelming.
0: Yeah. And and again, I mean, we talked about this briefly yesterday on Twitter. It's it's a guy from the SHL and so they they do a decent amount of of scouting in the SHL and like they've drafted some some pretty good players from there. But I mean, outside of SHL in, w- within Europe, it's essentially non-existent. I mean, they had, yeah, they had Nurmi from from uh, from Finland, but I mean, there's nobody being drafted from Czech or Germany or, or Norway or Slovakia or wherever. Um, and yeah, that that's definitely an area that needs to, they need more scouts in Europe. That's just they, they, they need more eyes. Like you can't possibly expect, Three guys to cover the entire entire continent, um, so yeah. Just to sum it up, like just just a weird pick at ninety fourth overall.
1: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, like there's there's well over a dozen leagues worth covering in Europe. Yeah, and you'd like, ideally you'd like to have at least one person dedicated to that league to each league.
0: Exactly. And
1: at every NHL team, I think. I mean, I think Chicago is the only one who's extremely heavily invested in this, but. Um, really there's there's so much market efficiency here or market inefficiencies here and uh mm-hmm. even just look, even just looking at data lodin just doesn't i mean i'm just looking at service data right now but what just doesn't really seem to stand out in many uh different ways so um yeah i, I think we should move on to the fifth pick that the Suns made and this was a bit this was definitely less of a reach he was he was definitely on some scouting boards but uh they drafted mark kastelik it was uh um, in the 6th round, I believe. Oh, no, in the 5th round. And, uh, yeah, so Mark Kastelik, another overager by the Sens. Uh He's also already 20 years old. I believe he's also a double overager. Um, so uh, he played for the Calgary Hitmen this year, uh, captained them. He had 77 points in 66 games, which, I mean, sounds great for a draft-eligible player. Um, I mean, but uh, yeah. looking, at, look, looking at his age, 20 years old, you kind of expect him to be doing that around that uh, around that uh, age group I don't know what, what were your uh, uh, thoughts on on Mark Kastelik
0: yeah I mean you kind of have to look back at his, his so his draft year would have been 2017 and that year he had 35 points in 67 games which you know maybe it's respectable it, yeah it's respectable I mean that, that maybe gives you a late round selection especially at his size I mean we got to mention this guy's a truck I mean he's 6 foot 3 220 pounds so I mean, Ottawa definitely loves that. And he also had 122 penalty minutes this past season. So, um, and it, from the looks of it, from, from, a, uh, from a friend, Henry Brown at sends prospects on Twitter, he was uh, showing some highlights of him fighting. So it seems like he's like a really tough dude. Um, and you know, probably like going to be a, a grinder type player moving forward. Um, but you know, like in this past season, he, uh, he captained the Calgary hitmen and I think what's more impressive about his point totals is that he had 47 goals um, as opposed to 30 assists. And those 47 goals were third in the WHL. So that's definitely pretty impressive, um, his, his uh, ability to score goals. Um, but like you said, he's 20 years old. Um, if Ottawa signs him, I believe he will probably be, pl- be playing in Belleville, Correct.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He'll he'll be in Belleville next year yeah. almost almost certainly. Yeah. But, so, um, I mean,
0: he's someone that I'd be pretty curious to see how he does in Belleville in his first season. I mean, if he if he puts up a respectable, you know, even 40 45 points, like I'd be pretty happy with that. But I don't know. Uh, I mean, you always hope guys like these uh are guys who uh guys who have really figured things out over the past 2 years. You you hope that you're not drafting the guy the same guy um, from uh, 2017. Um, But I don't know. I mean, there must have been some guy who was really high on him watching Calgary uh, all season. But yeah, it's strange to see him take another 20-year-old.
1: Yeah, and to me, this just has character pick written all over it. Yeah, it's it's like they're trying. It's like they're trying to find the next Zach Smith, essentially. Right. And that's not what you. That's not the player you're trying to find in the NHL draft. You can sign another Zach Smith in free agency in the offseason for like a 1.5 million, and getting Mark Kastelik is, I, I, he, he just doesn't scream upside to me. Even though he scored 47 goals, he's, he's, he, he works off of his physicality. Um, you're right. Like he's, he's just a super he's a big player really and uh kind of powered through a whole bunch of all this younger competition in the whl so it like given his size it's kind of expected that that uh he'd be able to pick the pick up this uh um th- these types of uh the surface level numbers so um yeah right. it, it's just it, it was definitely less of a reach i have his projected range at between 104 and 184 but again that is only three from three different sources who would actually rank <laughs> him so um he, he was definitely on some boards and I'm sure that some other team would have taken him if Ottawa didn't just because lots of other teams like kind of love that uh, character and, and have been drafting pretty risk averse. So, um, yeah. And, uh, another bit of a, a strange pick, less strange in, in compared to everything else. Um, I mean, we always have to, I, I always bring this up with every pick now, but the, again, there's just all, always talent left on the board and, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, to take another double overager yeah. with, uh, of, of Mark Kastelik's uh, profile is, is it's, it's not ideal.
0: I will say one one last thing about Kastelik too. Um, you know, like we we're both, both mentioning, 47 goals, definitely very impressive. Um, but it also sort of reminded me of a lot of guys, a lot of tough players, guys who became, you know, fourth line fighters and fourth line grinders in the NHL. A lot of those guys actually did pretty damn well in junior, especially like in the CHL. I'm just looking at Tom Sestito's page right now. I mean, he's played, so he had 154 career games in the NHL, 21 points, obviously. I mean, he had uh, 499 penalty minutes, though, so obviously (laughs) like the ultimate tough guy. In his age 20 season, you know how many goals he scored? Guess how many goals?
1: was it like 55 or something crazy? No, nah, not that high.
0: 52, <laughs> 42 though. So like It's still
1: amazing. It's that's still crazy. amazing.
0: Yeah, he had he had over a point per game um in his final uh, season in the OHL for the Plymouth Whalers. So like that's pretty similar. He had 135 penalty minutes. That's that's very similar to the kind of production that Castelic had. So I'm not saying he's going to turn into Tom Sestito or something like that, but I could certainly see him being someone like a Zach Smith or whatever on the third line um just because you know, putting this kind of putting up this kind of production is not necessarily expected, especially the 47 goals, but it's it's not out of the ordinary or anything.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just because he has that uh, actually two years on him, he's just again, he's a known commodity. You know, he's yeah, you know, he's even huge. more that he's not, Yeah, you know, you know, even more that he's not going to be. Like uh, uh, that, he doesn't have the potential to reach the top six of an HO yeah. roster. He's he's not gonna be touching that unless Ottawa does some other roster surgery or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's, it's for me. I think that was the first time in the draft that Ottawa didn't reach on a player. And considering that happened in the fifth round on a again a <laughs> question a questionable player, yeah. he kind of speaks volumes to uh, how uh, uh poor the rest of the drafting was.
0: Yeah. So let's go on to the, the last pick, I guess, then. And that was in the sixth round. Maxence. Oh, God. Gw- Gwinnett? Gwinnett. V- Gwinnett. Okay. Very, very French name. Gannett, 80, uh 187th overall um, from the Val d'Or And he, uh, yeah, he's another right-hand defenseman. And that's obviously something that they need in the system. Um, I don't know too much about him. Um, but, yeah, do you have any thoughts on him?
1: Uh yeah, he. I mean, he's he's again just one of the safer picks. It's Ottawa being risk averse in the seventh round, and I mean, uh, when I when I uh, was was fortunate enough to talk to Pierre Dorian, um, last year, or he said in his interview that Ottawa's was going to, um, take less of a shot on these uh, potential high-end players in the in these late rounds, and I think is really really showing. And, oh um, yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, um, not that not that I have anything against Max Maxonski Net personally, but um like he's, he's definitely has a good skill set like he he's a um he he's, he's definitely more of a two-way player um he doesn't have the high-end offense but uh uh and he was on on, on more draft boards than even mark Castlick. mark Castlick was only ranked by three sources whereas i could net rank by seven different ones so um he's an, he's also another right shot defenseman so at least they get to build some depth there mm-hmm. um 32 points in 68 games that's uh that's mark castle levels of ju- of uh, junior numbers in this first year so <laughs> yeah uh for a defenseman i mean for a seventh round pick i'm totally fine with that honestly
0: would i would your mind be changed if i said it's actually a sixth round pick
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean a little bit maybe because <laughs> they didn't right, have their
0: seventh now. but yeah um yeah I, I don't i don't think i can can say too much i mean I'm just looking at his team stats right now. It's pretty hilarious um, because, I mean, obviously I'm not taking any, uh, I'm not taking anything from his plus minus, but he was minus uh, 33 on the season, and there were other guys on their team. I mean, their second highest scorer was minus 59. Just, oh boy, I, I don't think there was a single positive player in their top like 22. This is insane. Wow, they must have been pretty, pretty bad team. So, um. You know, maybe he gets traded at some point to a better team and can develop further. But, yeah, I mean, he, he was ranked a bit higher uh, on other lists. So, at least this doesn't seem like it was a reach. Maybe actually a value pick, in fact.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I'm just looking at his uh, QMJHL numbers here. Uh, and, and he played about 20, uh, over 20 minutes a game in the QMJHL. So, he was trusted on Fandor, even though mm-hmm. like, he was kind of, they kind of had to just because they were such a weak yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, but that's concerning is just that he had uh, his goals for percentage was uh, 34.62%, which even on Val d'Or, I think that was minus eight percent relative to the rest of his team when, it, when he was off the ice. So, um, I just looking uh, again, it, it, it's it's really tough to evaluate him because he has such a wide trajectory and he was playing on such a bad team. But um, he definitely has. I wouldn't have taken him any earlier than this. That's 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 what I'll say. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it, again, it, it I think it was the Sens' least reachy player in the draft. Yeah, which again, <laughs> I th- just says a lot. High praise. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it, it, it it's it, it's definitely it's definitely another example of Ottawa continuing to be risk averse in the draft and just not really. Going for those players because even you look, I think it was Dustin Wolf was the was was the player that everybody started raving yeah. about in the seventh round who just completely dropped off, of uh, dropped off everybody's board for some reason, and even guys ended up going undrafted. I, I know Billy Constantino is is one guy that was ranked in the top 100 for a lot of places and uh, completely fell off the board. So uh, how he compares to those guys, I, I I'm not too sure, but yeah, it's uh he he he's he has the making of, of uh, a seventh round pick.
0: Mm-hmm. well um so those were the six players that the center selected over the weekend um which is kind of funny that they only took six players considering you know they're in a rebuild they have tons of picks in 2020 and 2021 um yes. only only six this weekend um but yeah let, let's just let's just go over our overall thoughts recap um you know they um all, all the six selections together and and sort of talk about how well Ottawa did at the draft so um I don't know if you've even thought about giving a grade for them but would you maybe be able to give one on the spot yes. right now because I don't even think I I've thought about it too much but what do you think
1: oh it's a straight up F for me F the, Oof. oh it's no question there uh I mean um Emmanuel Perry if you if you uh if you've seen his draft coverage on Twitter yeah he, yeah, was, he was giving up grades they gave him an F then yeah. Ottawa didn't there was there was no pick by ottawa that it felt like it that that felt comfortable at all and especially on those first few rounds it's it seemed like they kept reaching and reaching and reaching and kept getting mm-hmm. um infatuated with these players that they they could have traded down for even and uh so yeah it, it was just overall bad draft strategy um bad pick selection um e- even though they walked away with some good prospects they're uh um, just the way they went about acquiring them was uh, uh, with, with such high picks and such high value. Um, it was super disappointing. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's it was a total fail for me.
0: Now, yeah, I think it's important to make this distinction once again. And we said this at the beginning of the episode, but important to make the distinction that F in terms of where they took those players. Because, like you mentioned, because they kept reaching, um, you know, Gannett and maybe, I guess, Castellick were the only ones that, that weren't reaches. Um, so just in terms of their strategy, in terms of, you know, they could have traded down. They could have probably realistically had three extra picks, taken these exact same six players and had three extra players to take as well. Yes. Um, so yeah, F in terms of that, I, I would probably agree. Um, but I think, you know, if we don't want to be... Total doomsday scenario here. I think I think it is important to to note that you know I'm excited to see Thompson, uh, Pinto, and and Sogard uh, next season because I, I think those three players do have a decent chance to become NHL players. Whether that's actual impact players, I mean that's that remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, so like they they still added some good prospects, but I think 2020 the the 2020 draft is going to be a real game changer for them because i'm going to have to assume ottawa is getting a top 5 pick in that draft and that draft is absolutely loaded and they already have two first round picks maybe even three if re resigns with columbus and they already have three second round picks so they better be getting some high end talent in that draft and there's there's really no excuses because there's just there's so many good players already
1: yeah, for sure. And I mean, the poor the poor performance in this draft just makes the expectation for next year even higher. Yeah, it, it it just means so much more because if the Sens have a have planned to rebuild, I mean, they have some good players right now to build around. That's Kachuk and Shabbat. But next year is really an opportunity to get um, extra pieces, and not only just those those to build around, but you you need complementary players to win a cup. You, you can't just have a couple of stars. So. um, it' it's super important to load up on on as many of these uh potentially uh um amazing players as possible so mm-hmm. um ottawa failed at that in this draft and um yeah i mean my my expectation is low already just because yeah um even though i've had this i've had people tell me this a lot recently but Ottawa scouting staff is, is regarded by its fans as its only strength as the team's only strength which I mean it's kind of depressing in and of, of itself but <laughs> but even then like it, it's it, it's it's hard to see this draft even the last draft and, and the one before that even you could argue it's it's been a downward trajectory and these have been a scouting staff that's um, stuck with the sentence for only a couple years. There's been a lot of turnover pretty recently, and all of these guys are on three-year contracts now. They all, they all just uh, signed them too, so, um, yeah. I, I I'm, there's even just looking more big picture. They, they they've got the scouts, some scouts they could use some more still. Of course, we've talked about Europe, but they they still fall into the same tropes of looking for size, looking for those big bodies, um, looking for the the character, and above everything else they keep ignoring data because obvi- yep. obviously it is, it's, it's proven that <laughs> it, of course they're not the only team that ignores data but that, that just shouldn't excuse them at all from not even it, it seems like they haven't even been looking at it mm-hmm. what i taking into what taking it into account so um yeah something really needs to happen with this um scouting staff and i guess dorian because uh, i mean he's the one in control of it essentially um, if, if they really plan on uh, rebounding and getting back to that uh, state where they, where they were regarded as, as one of those uh, leagues, better scouting staffs because this year really, really tanked them hard.
0: I mean, I think you can make a realistic case that hiring 10 more scouts would be rational. I mean, like you were saying, they hardly have any scouts in Europe. Um, they could be covering those leagues. I mean, like ten to fifteen. I don't know. I mean, their their scouting staff right now is already already pretty small. I th- I think there are other staffs around the league that are that are oh, just as totally. so small. So like, it's not necessarily out of the ordinary, but they're definitely lagging behind some other teams. Um, and I think another important thing to to say about the the draft and our thoughts on the draft and and our analysis is that. You know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, just and and you've dealt with this as well. People replying to you, and they are very quick to appeal to authority and say, "Well, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not watching these prospects all season, and, and of course we're not, and we're we're not scouts." And um, I'm not necessarily saying I know better than a an NHL organization, an entire team, um, but at the same time, like I think it is. You can still criticize a selection for being too high based on what other you know, where the, the prospect is ranked on on tons of different lists and, and things like that. And also analyze a player's ceiling. Um, and sometimes that ceiling is a lot higher than we actually perceived it to be. But you can tell that Ottawa is going for these safer picks. And I mean, sure, some of these guys maybe they will turn into NHL players. But that doesn't necessarily mean they were the best pick at the time. I mean, I mean, maybe there was somebody available like a Kaliev in the second round who was going to end up being like a first-line player. So I think, sure, like we can't necessarily, uh, you know, I, I I don't know better than scouts which player is going to be an NHL player, um, and you know, maybe maybe they find a diamond in the rough with someone like Lodine or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I think there's too much appeal, appealing to authority, especially with what you're mentioning about how people are saying that they trust the scouting, and I guess it probably is the best part of their organization as compared to, like, trades and free agency, but it's certainly far from infallible, and um, yeah, they, especially with this draft, just with all the reaches, um, I like where the farm system is overall, but it could easily be in a much better spot right now.
1: See, I say have some more confidence. I think it's actually not that hard to beat NHL teams scouting just because they still, <laughs> f- they, honestly, it, it, you remember the the study about, uh, the potato, Jim, the gym bedding versus potato. Yeah. Where yeah. if you just draft the highest, no, 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 not gym Dave known us. There's, there's, there's been a few out there. I did this, I did this on the Sens a few years back. I still yeah. need to update it, but uh, I mean, the Sens goes out pretty well to that too. And, I mean NHL teams especially the sens keep falling into the same tropes about um g- g- ignoring small players we, it's well established <laughs> that small players can still play hockey yet the sens still continue to I- I- ignore that and pass yeah. these players um looking at data like e- even if they have one data analyst like there there's they're, they're certainly getting buried in the room based on uh, on the on the picks that are being made and it's just a matter of of draft strategy and, and not trading up for a goalie in the second round like these are simple decisions that that um th- there are so so many public scouts that um I, I, that would be able to that just wouldn't have done that and just said no and sense would have been better offer it offer it so um yeah it, it's 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 pretty proven that nhl teams aren't hard to beat and that they can certainly galaxy bring themselves into uh into oblivion sometimes so um yeah um like you mentioned, like it's the best part of their organization, but that's still a pretty low bar to beat. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I don't have any more thoughts on that. Uh, do you want to get some some listener questions?
0: For sure. Yeah. There's. It looks like there was six of them. So we'll try to go through these quickly. Um, I will let you. Where was this one? I wanted to give this one to you. Uh, so this one comes in from Andrew. He says. Are there any cap contracts that would come with a first next year that you would want to take on? I believe the Sens should take on as many p- potential lottery firsts as possible. So, uh, yeah, did you have any names in mind?
1: Uh, yeah, I think we covered this in, on the podcast already, but um, it is actually going to be pretty tough just because guys like Milan Gucic and Louis Eriksson have these. Uh, well, there's two names for you there, but they have these no trade costs that are built in. And I mean, what what they have that wants uh, wants them to go to Ottawa? And even looking at some like Patrick Marlowe. Uh, where the team bought him out essentially right afterwards, uh, Carolina. Or I don't know if that's been official yet, but they, they plan on doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like uh, I I I'm just not sure. The sense should have been on top of that for sure, but um, I I'm honestly not too sure if they'll even go in this direction or even they'll even explore this direction. I mean, Dorian Dorian did mention it. Uh, he's he'd explore that option at a press conference, but um, I, I think of the of the salary cap floor. And Ottawa's on a super tight budget like they're basically the budget's basically the cat floor at this point and uh um and the the cap was just announced recently and the Suns are actually pretty close to the cat for I think it's something like 11 and a half million away and if you factor in the, the CC extension oh my Colin gosh put, yeah Colin white and Christian Lennon. Lennon, that, yeah. that gets that gets them pretty darn close and they're also negotiating with Brian Gibbons and Oscar windberg too so that I don't think they should have as much trouble with the cap 4 as I'd originally presumed but um so there isn't really as much of a, of a need, I guess, to make that trade for Ottawa. But, I mean, of course, certainly I would, as, he meant, as uh, Andrew mentions, I would be voting on as many uh, potential lottery firsts as possible just because, I mean, the, the draft next year is going to be so strong and first round picks are just valuable regardless. So, um, yeah, um L- 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 Erickson and Malanguic are the two names that come to mind as players being shot, but it just seems unlikely. I, I don't, any other names that you thought of?
0: Yeah, no. I mean, James Neal has, has been out there as well, but I think he has a no trade clause or no move clause. Um, yeah, it it would be really great. David Clarkson as well. Um, you know, I think they could probably get like a second round pick or something out of that. Um, yeah, if they're able to do it, it would be incredible. It would be fantastic. Like just Carolina looks incredibly smart for getting a free first round pick for for taking on Marlowe. Um, so, yeah, I, like you said, though, I, I don't think it'll happen. Um, I'm sure they'll find some way to, to sign a veteran free agent, and then, uh, you know, they'll they'll be at the cap floor.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so our second question uh, comes in from Spencer Blake, and this is, this is pretty draft-related. Who do you feel is the highest potential to be this year's late-round gem for the Sens, i.e. this year's Batherson?
0: Oh, I mean... I so I, I, I'm gonna assume it's just out of Lodine, Kastelik, and, and Gannett. So I mean I'll I'll go with Gannett. Um No real reason there. I'm just pretty low on Lodine and, and Kastelik. I don't know. I just I just sort of th- see him as like maybe a potential grinder moving forward, but um I don't know, yeah. Uh <laughs> not the greatest answer, but I think Gannett could maybe maybe be a a, a quick riser in the system just because he is right handed, so um, you know, after his QMJHL career, maybe he uh, turns some heads.
1: Maybe takes. Maybe he takes a big step forward, like Max Lejoie did. Exactly. And, yeah. And maybe maybe he does that. But thing is, because Kastelik and, and Lodin are overragers, there's much uh, lower chance that happens. So yeah. Uh, by default, I think the answer is Gannett here. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately.
0: Um. Next one comes in from Mike Little. He says. Are there any other teams that seem to play from such a completely different draft playbook than the rest of the industry? I feel like you might know a bit better than I would on this one.
1: I mean, I'm not too sure about teams specifically. I'm not sure, Mike, if you're referring to good or bad here. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> Ottawa is, is playing on, on a bit of a worse one if you look at this draft. But mm-hmm. uh, Carolina was a team that stood out to me personally. Them and Toronto were, the, were I think, the two that definitely seemed very um, uh, data heavy. Yeah. Or, not data heavy, like, like data balanced. I mean, but heavy compared to the rest of the league. Where uh, I mean, Carolina—they had three third-round picks. They took Dominic Fensore, they took Patrick Puistola, and uh, I'm forgetting the third one. But uh, oh, Antoni Honka, Honka, of course. Yeah. And, and those are three players that I would have even considered if I had a late first-round pick. Those are players that would have been on my board probably. So yeah, that that was an incredible draft from them. Uh, Toronto also seemed to to nail every pick that they almost every pick that they got um just uh just these are teams that <laughs> I do things as simple as recognize that small players can play too and it's it's weird that there's still a market efficiency inefficiency in the nhl but um yeah so it's just they're, they're the less dumb teams i'll put it that way and in, in that sense they, they play on a, on a different playbook than the rest of the league
0: i like that answer yeah that uh I'm definitely jealous of those teams that are are pretty data data heavy in uh, in their draft analysis. Um, yeah, do you want to take the next one?
1: Yeah, this one comes from Ross. Do you think uh, the reaches at the draft from more because the galaxy brained after hitting a few late round home runs in previous years, or more because they don't have nearly enough personnel to scout effectively?
0: I feel like it's more of the latter. I mean, um, yeah, they're just we we've talked about this a lot in the in this episode. They just they don't have the personnel. Um, they don't have enough eyes watching all these players, and if someone, like, if they see Kastelik and he scores a hat-trick that night, I mean, maybe they just think that he's a lot better than he actually is, and uh, yeah, like, I I mean, scouts definitely watch a lot of games, but first impressions really matter, and if one guy has a good game, or if one guy has a bad game, like, that could, you know, really change uh, a scout's opinion uh, on on one player, so um. Yeah, I, I feel like it's more of the latter, and they definitely need to be hiring more people, like we keep saying.
1: See, I'm even more pessimistic. I just say both. A- Ottawa gets fixated affixi- to these um, certain players, just want to take them and forget about uh, what other teams might be thinking of them or, or uh, mm-hmm. other. So, but yeah, you're right. They they definitely need to uh, ramp up that scouting stuff. It, it seems unlikely considering that uh, they all got three year contracts at the same time last year. So it looks like they'll be kind of the core sticking together unless they want to bring in someone new. But um, yeah, it's 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 all really it it it's all seems like a mess right now. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of messes, this one comes from Ryan Classic. Where was Eugene Melnick? Was he hiding from me? <laughs> was he hiding from me and Trevor?
0: I mean, to be fair, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Graham Nichols quoted a guy saying that apparently he was at like his daughter's graduation or something. So yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, so I mean that's your non joke answer. Um, but yeah, I, I'd like to think that he was just hiding from uh, from me and Ryan. So that's that's a better answer. By the way, the draft was a pretty cool experience. Um that's if- awesome if uh if nobody's ever been so i don't know when the next one in ottawa will be but definitely recommend going if uh yeah. if they have it anytime soon so yeah next,
1: next one next one is in montreal next year so uh, yeah
0: oh yeah, yeah i'd recommend going to that that's not that far
1: yeah for sure just a quick drive well, i mean 2 hour drive away and exactly I'll, I'll i'll try and be there for sure but yeah uh, you should
0: yeah um so the last one comes in from adam wyland he says sends draft well the vast majority of all players drafted this weekend will never play in the nhl Sens walk away with a few good prospects and and can now look ahead to 2019-20. What position will the Sens target in free agency before the prospects take over in a season or two?
1: Oh, a bit of a switch there, but... Yeah. um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, It's I I think if they're targeting free agency, I mean, Dorian said this in his pressers, but they're going to look at a couple uh, uh, veteran, I think, forwards, he mentioned, because they seem pretty um, set on defense uh, as long as they keep CC. Uh, Yeah. I mean you got, you got CC Yaros de Melo on the right side and then the left side is totally jammed. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a couple veteran forwards. Uh, of course they're negotiating with Windberg and, uh, and, uh, um, Brian Gibbons still. So, um, that, that, that just seems like what, a, what it will end up being, even if, if they end up doing that, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I would definitely love to see Spezza come back if, if they're able to do that. Um, I mean, I can't imagine them signing anybody for more than like $2 million or something like that. So don't expect someone amazing to be coming in. I mean, even Spezza, he's uh, that's more of a nostalgia signing, if anything, because he's he's 36 and he's, you know, like a 25 to 30 point center at this point. So, um, yeah, they'll uh, it'll be small signings um, as as always, honestly, because they're you can expect them to be pretty damn quiet on July 1st. So, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think that's all for today. Uh, next up will probably be Development Camp. I'll actually be at Development Camp talking to some players, hopefully. So we'll nice. um, look forward to some uh, some content on that. But uh, yeah, I think that's all for today.
0: All right, sounds good. As I wrap it up, a reminder that you can find the Cosper per Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read my articles at HockeyBuzz, and you can follow Colin on Twitter at CudmoreColin and read his articles at silver 7 Sens. The podcast also has a Twitter account at CP Pointcast where we'll notify you of future episodes. I hope everyone's excited for the summer, and stay tuned for a new episode in early July. That's all for today. Adios.